Well, Brad. No. No? Your access has been revoked. <laughs> I was retweeted by Hallmark Channel. Yeah, for a typo. <laughs> it was not a typo. Oh, well, that was intentional? Absolutely. All the kids say, instead of forever, they say five ever. It's like bigger and longer than forever. Is that really a thing? Uh, yes. <laughs> a thousand times yes. Wow. I learned that from my ultra hip daughter, Gracie Stewart. I was like, it it's not Kate. She also says things like- It was like, clearly not Kate. <laughs> she'll <laughs> say things like, I work 25-8, stuff like that. So that's where we're going with things in <laughs> this world. I'm just stating the facts. 25-8 and 5-ever. Okay. <laughs> we had a very busy day and we needed a little celebration at the end of it. We did. And Hallmark did not save the best for last. No, they didn't. But we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> So, Without further ado, yeah. please welcome Christopher Palaha to Home for Hallmark. Did he butcher your name again? Hey, Molly. Good morning, Brad. No, Brad, you said it right. You get it. You got all the vowels in the right place and you said it right. Well, that's the only time I'm going to say it right. Because for the rest of this episode, you'll be Chris gonna Polenta. Be Polenta. Hello, ha, 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 yeah. Uh, well, and I think it, some of that was him baiting you to come on our show to correct us, you know. Oh, yeah, there was lots <laughs> of baiting. There was betrayal, hashtag betrayal. Was, oh. um, yeah, who was that? Whose idea was that? So, that was mine. That, it's all, yeah. all Brad. I'm a troll. All the real bad stuff. Brad, you're the... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the Hallmark troll. <laughs> but welcome. Um, good morning, guys. Thanks for good having morning. me on your podcast. Thank how's, you for how's, coming. How's the, how's the world? How's your life? How are things... How, are, how as a season finale... How do you feel like your season went? Are we good? Are we in good standing? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was our, I mean, it's only our second season. I feel like we're getting our feet under us. I saw, I met your correspondent at the Christmas con last week. <laughs> I'm sure you um, did. I'm so sorry, guys. My RIP, she seemed like a lovely woman and then she saw Luke McFarlane and died. Yeah. She has a lot of mishaps. That one. That was She's, awful. Yeah. Yeah. What's her name? Car Celery? What's her celery. name? <laughs> yep. Celery. Celery, holly cakes. <laughs> Next year. Celery Holly Cake. Yeah, she'll yeah. be back. Celery Holly Cake. She'll come back. She always yeah. does. She always does. Mr. Palaha, among other reasons that uh, we asked you to be on is that you are from the same town we're also from. Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. The biggest Nevada. little city in the world. Well, and I'm older than you, but we would have both remembered when Reno was small. When yeah, and Park Lane Mall. Did you ever like hang oh, out? Oh, Park Lane Mall, of course. It's where like <laughs> I would get dumped. My right? buddy, like my, yeah. my buddy Grandma, and I'd be like, "Can we please go to Park Lane Mall?" I would just like <laughs> my mom would drop us off. We'd go in, thinking that we were like you know. And there was that one Spencer's Gifts. Mm -hmm. There was the one music. There was a music store that mm -hmm. was awesome. You could get records. Mirabelli's, Mirabelli's, yeah. yeah. Well, let, and and there was a hat for, store and the Orange Julius stand. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> I mean, these it are was great the thing. memories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are amazing memories. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, all of it. Your dad is a is a name around town, being a judge for how long was like, your fifty years? Yeah, and I I'm actually started my career as a paralegal, so I work with an attorney. He just retired, but he calls your parents by their first names, and actually he speaks very highly of your dad as a judge, which is not always true. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm well, I know this podcast likes to, to to poke fun at things, and so I don't want to get too I don't want to get too uh, serious. But I'm sitting in his office actually. And mm -hmm. You can't see behind me is a wall of his sort of credentials and accolades. And I literally was just looking at, he's got plaques from like the Supreme Court of the United States. And mm. anyway, it's all these amazing things. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, Dad, you've literally spent 50 years. And he said, uh, I said, you've made a huge mark 
Yeah. Like, and you're like, how many lives? Because he was a defense attorney before yep. that. Um, and so the stories he has are unbelievable. And he said he's uh, affected over 7,000 lives. Like he's, he's helped over 7,000 people in his lifetime, which is, I don't know, it's pretty cool. It's weird to think that he's had a hand in that many lives. And I, I was going to do a TV show about him called St. Jerome, actually, which I pitched to CBS at the height of sort of the movement for diversification. And, and they were like, this is a great show, but we're not doing any shows about like four-year-old white guys right now. <laughs> bring it back yeah. in 10 years. Yeah, bring it back. <laughs> it's a great said, title okay. too. That's a great title. St. Jerome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it really is. I could, I could spend an hour talking about really cool cases from the 70s and mm-hmm. 80s and stuff that you, you would blow your mind where you're just like, holy cow. So yeah, my dad, uh, he did all right. And um, yeah, a lot of pride for him. And and he does have a really good reputation, which is yeah. something that is hard to have as a defense attorney. Yep. And then as a judge, like there's yeah. two things that people <laughs> want to like knock you down for. And he managed to, he managed to have a lot of integrity and dignity throughout the whole thing and afford people a lot. Yeah. Everybody, everybody loves your dad in the, uh, in the bar, Washoe County bar. So my okay, question yeah, en- Enough about that. I know, I know. Brad's so like, then- what bar are we talking about? And how much <laughs> Can I get a Long Island? Yeah, okay. Um, so, so then, so then the question, your dad's is high achieving. Um, yeah. Professional. Right. And so when you said, oh, I want to be an actor, I, I want to go to NYU and, and be an actor. Was there pressure to, to do something different? He's like, you're no son of mine. <laughs> No, there was silence on the phone. I remember being a freshman in high school being like, I know what I want to do for a living, guys. And they're like, what? What is it? And then my mom and dad were both on the phone. And I said, I want to be an actor. And they were just quiet. They were like, mm. and literally there was a palpable silence for about 15 to 30 seconds. And then I think they were looking at each other. Then like, how do we? And then I think they thought it would be a phase. And they're like, let's just you know, let him let him want that. For, by, by junior year, he won't want that anymore. Is, is that why him. they sent you to a boarding school? <laughs> yeah yeah They're like go right now go, go, go. <laughs> no it was the boarding school that i fell in love with acting it was a, it was a little place called robert Louis stevenson and it was uh they had this small and they had a really 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 well endowed uh theater arts program and by that i mean they probably spent i mean it was just it was all storybook it was amazing and like amazing privilege and it was a i can't even begin to express how great I am because if it wasn't for my parents and if it wasn't for this guy named Hamish Tyler who, you know, leaned into me as a freshman was like, he's like, uh, you, you want to be an actor? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so he just cast me in all these parts and I kept getting all these amazing parts and just learned how to be an actor. It was like being in a theater company. And when I say well and dad, I mean, they spent like 20 grand on each show. Like we had like full sets and costumes and <laughs> like it was real. And we were in Pebble Beach, California. And so we were the theater in that whole area. So people from Carmel and Monterey would come and watch the theaters if it was, you know, like the only thing. And it was one of, you know, maybe four or five places doing live theater for that whole community. So it really was like the stakes were a lot higher than just high school theater. Like it was, a, it was like being a part of an actual theater company. And I got deadly serious about it. I loved it. And it was the thing that kept me. In, I was going to bail out of school because I was a terrible student first. Um, <laughs> Which is a common theme to, with actors, I think. I mean, Yeah, I was, yeah. it was awful. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I just learned how to be a great student because of the, of the work that I was doing in theater. And um, Nice. But that's but that's a story. We've, we've heard that story. We can talk <laughs> about other stuff on this podcast. But, yeah. Uh, like well, we- my height. <laughs> 
Well, we definitely want to talk about your height. Um, there's a little bit too of uh, uh, Brad is super jealous of your your deep sonorous uh, oh, voice. Oh, do I still have it? Wait, I think <laughs> do I do. Anything sound interesting? And I was, I mean, should I send him like a recipe to read? Or, <laughs> should he read you know? the phone book? We, can we can we test the, the phone book? Theory? Right. I mean, seriously, like I found this uh, academic article on sleep. And I'm like, let me let me see if 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 Chris Palaha reads an article on sleep. What would <laughs> you've you know, got this? You know, you know, I started writing books, right? Did yeah, you guys do that. See yeah, that work? I've started so reading this book it. Called, yeah, well, you did. You started reading, I started like reading it. Yeah, yeah. I'm a well, I'm a voracious reader. Yeah. How are you liking it so far? I do like it. I'm not I'm not a big romance genre fan. Like when I mm-hmm. I want to be like in a galaxy far far away or you know. But yeah, it's. I love that you guys are doing a podcast on romance movies, <laughs> and you're like. Ah. <laughs> What the fuck that, is that? We really don't like this genre. <laughs> Brad is a cl- Brad is definitely a romantic. I mean, Brad is like he he tries to not no. let people. Yes, you I are. hate it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm really starting to feel the hook. I'm a, I think I'm a chapter eight. Yeah, wait till you get to when you meet Warren. That's when I my writing enters. The, so when Warren enters the book, that's also when my writing enters the book. I mean, mm-hmm. there's stuff that like me and I worked on together. But she'd written it before I came into the picture. So at, at a certain point, you'll see where it becomes a co-authorship. And it's fun. And then we just finished book two. All that to say, um, we did an audio book. And online, people will say, yeah, I listen to your book at night. And it helps you fall asleep. <laughs> I'm like, great. I mean, use it as a sleep aid. I'll take that. Like, but you know, <laughs> that's really, truly a high compliment because... You have to be in a really good mental state to fall asleep, right? Yeah, you do. You got to yeah. feel relaxed and yeah. safe and calm. And yeah, so. I'll take well, it. And I saw that you did an interview about the book that hopefully that is a Hallmark movie. So obviously, I mean, it's not going to be if, a, if we're, 50 Shades of Grey. So, <laughs> well, here's Thanks. the deal. If we're, if we're being honest, um, it's a little more mature than Hallmark. So what I'm hoping for, and I just got a producer like this week, we just had a really amazing phone call with a guy. We're looking for a budget between seven and 10 and million. And we're trying to find our writers um, or our writer for the screenplay. And it's something I, I would love to see it on Netflix. I'd love to see it on like Apple plus or, or Amazon prime, just a place where you can take it a little further because mm-hmm. the books get a little more sensuous and they get a little more like our book too the lead character is addicted to drugs and he's kind of a sex addict and he's not, he's not like a great guy. And the girl that he meets, she's like a world-class surfer who broke her neck and she's like, so it's this awesome, it's a really beautiful story, but you can't tell it on Hallmark. And I don't even really tell um, moments like this. You could on Hallmark, but we don't, we don't want to. It's so limited. It's kind of limited. Polenta wants to make a TV PG movie. Well, my goodness. So I PG-13. went. PG-13. I went deep. I do. I, do. I don't want to go G. I want to go PG-13. I mean, I went deep down the hole while I'm researching for this. And so I had, I was aware that you're out there being a working, I mean, I was around in Reno for the, the JFK, you know. Oh yeah. You that, remember that? Oh yeah. And so you're like a huge, you're huge here. But so I, and I saw Reno. you on Castle, you know, I, I'm a fish, Castle fan. <laughs> I'm a Castle fan. I loved um, the Rain Wilson show. I was so sad when that got canceled. But so last night I caught um, Beneath the Leaves. So have you seen oh, that? Oh, yeah. Have you yeah. seen that, Brad? I was too busy watching Mystery 101. I mean, that's a... Do- <laughs> I'm not kidding. Guys are, I mean... I'm not kidding. A, it's a dark... You watching it? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to hear that this story is intended for a different... Not that we don't love Hallmark, love to hate Hallmark, but that it's it's got a maybe a broader telling because... Your work has a lot of depth that people who are just watching Hallmark Channel wouldn't would miss otherwise. Would, yeah. yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, listen, guys, it's it's um, I got married or, uh, when I was 20, 
I guess, six years old and had my first kid at 27. And you both know that it takes a lot to make a living, right? just to yeah. provide food and shelter for your family. Yeah. And then we ambitiously had two more kids. <laughs> um, so now I've got a total of five mouths to feed. And, and when you're an actor, um, I've learned something. And this is like, this is something that no one talks about. So this is going to be an interesting scoop for your listeners. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be, and I'm not, this isn't, I'm not making this up. You have to be wealthy to be a star. So when you look at who I are movie that. stars, mm -hmm. yeah, when you look at people and you're like, well, they're a movie star, look at their pedigree and look at where they came from. And they came from families. Like if you're listening to this, you're going to think that I'm, I'm a person of privilege. My dad was a lawyer. He became a judge. I went to a boarding school for high school. That is privilege. That's already, that already puts me in that category of like being able to afford to say no or whatever. And I did have an unbelievably supportive parents. But I'm talking about like real stars, like where you're like a movie star. These right. people have a like generational wealth. Right. They're, I mean, that's Reno they, money. Reno money is not. It's not. not right. It's not Reno money is LA totally money, different New York than, money. than LA money yeah. or New York money or Russian mafia yeah. oligarchy money. I mean, we're talking about like, like yeah. where you can just afford to say no for nine years or where you can finance a movie yourself or yeah. where you can create your own destiny. And so when you, and there's some people, you know, like Timothy Chalamet, who's a kid who just popped and he was at LaGuardia high school and, and you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be those careers that explode. And they're always interesting to watch because of those explosive careers, you know, maybe they can last 10 years. Maybe they get to last a decade or whatever, or two decades. And, and, you know, every once in a while you get the guy who like the Brad Pitt or the yeah. DiCaprio, or whoever that is. Right? right. But it's hard, man. It's hard to, it's hard to stick and then it's hard to stay. We lost Brad with this conversation. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's doing technical adjustments. Um, but so, so for me, the reason I brought all that up is because, you know, I, I went out to Hollywood and I was John F. Kennedy Jr. And that was a huge, I mean, that was my yeah. first job. It was I huge. I remember walking, yeah, I remember yeah. walking through Times Square and there was a giant, like eight story poster in Times Square with my face on it. And, I, and then I got onto the subway and the whole subway was lined with my profile. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit like Surreal. this is this is massive i was 23 years old mm. i was like holy shit i'm about to be like this is about to be a rocket ship to yeah. a place like I, and that was my goal like, the goal mm. was always i look at hollywood as this mountain like mount everest and the peak of it is spielberg is DiCaprio, is brad Pitt. it's like there's a there's there's right. a place to get to where you can you know do a movie a year and get all that mm -hmm. stuff you know? right. i had that was my goal and i remember thinking and then it's like I did Kennedy thing and the industry did not care. Oh. They were like, yeah, and, and, and so all of a sudden you do a pilot that doesn't get picked up and then yeah. you hope for another job and then you get a job and then it does get picked up, but it only gets 20 episodes and then it gets canceled. And after North shore, I didn't work for a year and a half. Like our oh. house went into foreclosure. Like it was real, like real oh. terror. Yeah. And so then you learn, you go, okay, hold on a second. So it could have dropped, in two different corners. It could have, the coin could have dropped where it was just movie after movie after movie and explosive and it had a moment, or it could have dropped where it did, which was all of a sudden I had this world in which people were like, no, there's something about you and we're just gonna, yeah, we're gonna keep hiring you. And you I've had seven television shows, I've done the thing and I keep just churning out this, and it is, it's a, it's a deeper, wider, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a deep river versus a shallow, fast river. So it's interesting to see, I appreciate your, what, what basically I appreciate what you're saying because all along, there is this hope for really great stuff. Like I have 
I, there's stories that I want to tell that are actually, you know, for adults and for that are, that are hard hitting and that are real. And that, yeah. but I have to make a living. And so trying to carve out a career in Hollywood, I would actually love somebody to, to, to do the work. I can't do it myself because it's too self-congratulatory or whatever, but I would love <laughs> for somebody to, to trace all of the work and be like, okay, these are why he made the decisions and these are the characters that he played. And because the thing with Hallmark, like I've tried to do a different character every movie. And if you watch them back to back, like, of course, it's always me. But there's always a variation. Like in yeah. the small town Christmas, he sounds like Jimmy Stewart because I was like, I'm going to imitate Jimmy Stewart. Swing a lasso around the moon, Mary, yeah. and bring it down, and you're going to eat it, and the light will come out of the fingertips. Bends your hair. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what can I do if I'm not, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm doing something, I love acting. I love it. And you put me on anything where I'm getting paid whatever, and I'll be there and I will give it my all because I love doing what I do. But yeah, it's just interesting. It's interesting trying to make a living. It's interesting to try to find your niche. And, you know, I think I'm I'm trying my damnedest to 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 build slowly and steadily. And at Hallmark, as funny as they are and as, as reluctant as I was to get into them, my first one being with Meghan Markle, it's just been this unbelievable place for me to go and play. And I've been able to direct, I mean, like all block scenes. Because mm-hmm. the directors come on, they're like, I don't know, what, you, what do you want to do? And I'm like, okay, this is, this is what we'll do. And, and so we just we have this. And so it's almost like I'm executive producing every film that I go and work on because I'm making creative choices and we tinker with the lines. I mean, half the stuff you saw in Dickens is just improv and really? you know, fun stuff. Yeah, between Brooke and I. Like, and maybe that's why it felt so natural. I mean, it really was a natural feeling film in a lot of it. Which is not yeah. necessarily a, a hallmark of a hallmark movie, um, right? And, yeah, and, that's and good. Mo- Molly's thinking about that porch scene again. I can see it in her eyes. The po- oh, I love the porch. The porch. Scene. Oh man, I'm sorry that made you cry, Molly. Oh no, it was no, no, a good no, cry. She sobbed. It was- sobbed. <laughs> it was a good cry. It was. I mean, my, the highlight of all the whole, the season for me was because no, those are the real relationships, right? And one of the things about Hallmark that I think, and I and I don't want to disparage Hallmark is necessary. I think. It's really important for people. It makes people feel good about the world. It's great for families. Um, personally, I have a, a desire to watch a little more raw, real storytelling because for me, I feel better when I realize the world is that I'm not. I'm not weird because my life. Kind it's of better, right? It's right? better, right? It's better than what you're watching. You're right. like, well, I'm actually like I'm safe. Like <laughs> yeah. this is actually safe. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that scene was beautiful for me because it's. I mean, the holidays are hard for people. Families are in pain um, a lot during the holidays. And that's when it comes out where you have this idealistic idea of what your family should have turned out like. And so that's why right. I think why that si- that scene was so important for me personally and and for the film. It was beautiful. <laughs> so thank, thank you, you for making me cry. I know that Brad didn't watch it. I know he skipped through that scene. <laughs> I did skip through that scene. And look, Molly's crying, crying again. No, I'm not. No, oh, my okay. eyes are watering because I, I did, should be still in I bed. did watch 75% of it, Mr. Palaha, Palenta. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but it, had he watched it, he would have known. It was like, it was also a rare moment where Hallmark allowed two men, like in a real, you know. Well, and that's what our, a, yeah, our friend yeah. in Australia said. It was Who also real... didn't watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a real, I mean, those are the relationships, right? Those are the challenges. And I think for women, we're allowed to feel those things and to express those things in, in American culture. Men get really stunted, at least in the way um, they used to be raised. I think we're making a lot of progress yeah. with teaching boys how to identify emotions and express emotions in healthy right. ways. But that hasn't been the case. And, and men either get to be angry or happy. And so to see that real 
you know, relationship between two men was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. 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 I was proud of that scene. And the guy that I acted with, his name is Chad Willett. Um, again, an interesting guy. He moved to LA, you know, and had his own TV show back in the eighties, uh, late eighties and nineties was a New York actor and actually had the same team that I had. Um, so we knew a lot of the same, you know, agents and managers. And then he went back to Vancouver to, you know, get married and have a kid. And he's got two little babies and, and it really, and so when, when you meet actors who see actors, it's funny. Acting is a thing where you're either good at it or you're not. <laughs> and there's a yeah. lot of people who are working, who are, who are not good at it. Yes. You're just, and they're beautiful to look at. And you're like, mm. oh man, that, you're, you're handsome or so pretty, but they just can't act. Yeah. So when you're on set and you're doing a movie for, you know, those Hallmark movies are about what, 2 million a pop and they're making a hundred a season they're looking at like spending 200 million dollars which is a tentpole movie like the same cost for jurassic world right mm -hmm. but they're chopping it into 100 little movies and they're churning these things out as if it were a series and so they're making them really really fast and you figure you've only got a small pool because everything's shot in vancouver you guys are right it's all <laughs> vancouver and that house is the same house at every you know because when you're when you yes. when you're a homeowner in vancouver mm -hmm. and you're like you're going to rent my house up for how much? Yeah. For a, a two days? <laughs> yes. I'll do that again. It's a beautiful house. It really is. It's a great house. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful house. Yeah. By the way, it's not even Vancouver. It's like Abbotsford. One of the really good technical. It's like way out in oh. Abbotsford. Look at our map. Because Vancouver used to be cheap to film in. And then Vancouver got smart. And so they just started charging more and more and more. So now there's city limits that are expensive to shoot it. So if you go outside the city limits, it's a little cheaper and you get a bigger tax break mm -hmm. they got smart. And so now we're oh. driving like an hour and a half out oh. of Vancouver to go, you know, work on a farm somewhere um, and make it and make it pass as Dickens, Ohio. So it's probably not a good business model. We were talking, we were joking about creating this Hallmark tour. Well, like okay. a Starbucks tour, like they do right. in LA. Well, yeah, I mean, but it sounds like we'd have to find an inn. Have to, <laughs> we'd have yeah, to find an inn. literally need like beds. Yeah. yeah. You, your people, it would, it would be like a five day tour. <laughs> Like, and this is the house that this is the ranch where this they filmed the uh, Rocky Mountain Christmas. And this is the porch where this Tyler is the Haynes. Porch where Chris, Chris Paloha <laughs> made Molly cry. Um, Chris Polenta. Polenta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, and we, you know, that was a question we had too. Like, how much do these movies cost? And you just answered that for us because yeah, it, and, and do you think that it like varies based on, okay, so, you know, we've got Chris Palaha on this one. This one's, we're going to spend more on talent so the other the other aspects of the budget have to shrink or i don't know anything about i think they have a i think they have a pretty tidy pocket for for how much they're willing to pay people i think there's a cap on how much your actors your hall stars are getting paid which is a great um, that stars. is a that is great by the way sorry go ahead <laughs> it's not mine i mean that's just what they that's like the name the like, oh, you're a hall yeah. star and that's, then that's when um, you get invited to christmas con yeah when you're a hall star you, right when you're a hall star Hey, I was so proud of my um, my fan base because, you know, the worst thing about I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. And first of all, I was like 100% convinced I was going to catch COVID because mm. I'm sure your correspondent was like, not a mask in 12,000 people in a convention center. You're like, mm. okay. But, mm -hmm. they, but the people who put the show on, you know, everyone was tested and temperature gauged all that stuff before they walked in. They did a good job of keeping it relatively safe. But that aside, you know, people line up to meet the actors that they want to meet. And I, there was a part of me that was like, I'm not going to have a line. Like no one's going to line. I was going to be that guy just standing there. Like, you know, really? Like waiting. Really? I like really did. I was, like, well, all stars. I, I was like, no one's going to want, like they're going to want Andrew Walker and they're going to well, want, you know, Tyler. Right. And I was like, 
and they did but i was really proud to i was really proud to say that the fans showed up and they i had a nice long line for the entire weekend and i got to meet all these people and um and it is amazing molly like you mentioned there is escapism on television which cuts both ways and when you watch Pinky Blinders, it's escapism because you know that there's a darkness in the world that is not has nothing to do with your life. And you're like, wow, that's how depraved and that's how scary and that's how dark it can get. And I think the opposite is true for Hallmark, where it's like people, it's escapism to like go back to the way that it that it was. Right. I think we all have a sense right. of nostalgia. We all have a sense of like well, when I was young and Christmas was but we just do. And and I think that Hallmark has created this bubble, like a snow globe that you can mm-hmm. enter into. And I think that's what they're trying to do right now is expand who's included. And I think they're saying it's for everybody. Like the Snow Globe is for everybody. And, you know, I think that's where the evolution of the network is happening. And that's why GAC all of a sudden entered the fray. Yes. They were like, it's yeah. so interesting. And then like actors that are getting coached over to GAC. And yeah. It's just, it's so wild to see the whole thing happen. Um, and it's real business. It's a big, it's a big, big business. You know, it's good for people. Um, storytelling, entertainment, it's essential for humans. And, and, and I love it. This was great, too. One of the things that I really appreciated when I was doing my research about you is your philanthropy. Um, and World Vision is a great organization. I've sponsored children. Molly, I got you a Christmas <laughs> present. <laughs> I've sponsored oh, children all over. Friend. It's sold out. It's sold oh. out. And, you know, they're getting real wages. I mean, I love it. Um, and then the organization, um, the art organization you're a part of. Um, yeah, her, her arts in action. Yeah, tell, yeah. Tell, us about, tell us about that. Because that was just amazing to me. I loved it. Well, Her Arts in Action was founded by a woman named Sarah Drake, who's an artist in Minnesota. And what she wanted to do is twofold. One was to bring art education for marginalized youth in Minnesota, kids who would never be in an art room, who would never have a chance to use paints or clays and because they couldn't afford it or because it was deprioritized and, and not available in their school systems. And, you know, and... Um, and the other side of it was there's a, a little country in Africa called Burkina Faso, and there's this little village in Burkina Faso called Tibile, and yeah. they walk like 6K. It's a long trek to get water, fresh water for the village, and, and it falls onto the young girls. So it's the girl's job to go get water in the morning. And it's a bucket, so A, it's heavy, and it hurts their necks and their backs, and it diminishes them. B, and this is like really, it's really dark, they get raped along the way. And so all of a sudden, there's a lot of sexual abuse, and they find themselves sort of useful in only one way, which is to go fetch water. So you're losing half of your potential population, half of the potential uh, intelligence that women provide, leadership that women provide, anything beyond being a, a 13-year-old bride and yeah. just breeding and making more. And so if, only, if you're looking at viable members of your society being the boys, you're yeah. cutting you're cutting all that potential off. And so when you bring fresh water into community, what happens is the girls no longer have to walk 6K every day to go get fresh water. They just go to the well, then they go to school. So they're getting education. And it's amazing because we take it for granted here in America. Um, We just do, and we have our own issues. I'm also a part of something called the Jensen Foundation, which is about sex trafficking. And when you start in Nevada specifically, guys, Mm -hmm. you know, we have legal prostitution, and everyone's like, yeah, it's legal. But when you start to really dig into what legal prostitution means and entails, these women are robbed of their identities. They're, they have credit cards taken out in their names. They become slaves. And there's yeah. literally like sex slaves well, where if, they have yeah. no potential future. 
Tundra? Jensen Foundation, yeah, the Jensen Project, so J-E-N-S-E-N, okay. uh, the Jensen Project, and what we that. do, yeah, you should check that out. Yeah. There's, I have one post because we're just getting started, but what we do is, uh, it is a foundation that is fully loaded, like it's a fully funded, very wealthy foundation, and we want to seed money to other organizations. So our job every year is to find four or five different organizations, nonprofits that are helping either allow women to have access back into society, yeah. helping them find housing and jobs, yeah. um, getting their credit and their identities returned to them and restored to them, or finding safe houses. And so what we're doing is financing, funding other nonprofits. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. So all that to say, like, you know, and it's interesting because women are at the heart of my career. Um, they're at the heart of the books that I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. w- women, uh, and, and I don't know, I think my mom, I, I look at the mom that I had and she's just this amazing, you know, she was an incredible homemaker. And, mm-hmm. um, when I was a boy and then when I was in seventh grade, she decided to go back to school and become a nurse. And I watched her just crush it and go into the world and, and, you know, was support, help support my dad when, you know, when yeah. being a defense attorney was lean or whatever, she was there to like help. And so we had this. I mean, it was like, you know, it was, and that's the other thing about, about acting and being a defense attorney or a contractor or anything where mm-hmm. you're only paid when you work. So when right. you see the work that I do, that's when I've been paid. I don't get right. paid in, in, in between time. You don't get paid to sit around. I don't get paid for this. Um, <laughs> no, which thank you so much. I recognize that. Thank yeah, you so much. Of course. No, my pleasure to come and talk to you guys. Um, so I think that, you know, when I look at, when I look at my audience and I look at the women that I've worked with, I think. Part of my career, you know, Sherry Appleby and I had this amazing chemistry. She was my partner on Life Unexpected. And it was because she and I worked so well together that we had literally the writers were like, oh, we have a whole nother show we can tell with your relationship. And then my relationship with Brittany. And here's another young woman who, you know, I was able and I had kids. And so all of a sudden, all these fathering instincts were able to be exercised as an actor because and and when I saw how well I was able to work with Shiri and the kind of work environment, it's just become something that I enjoy and also something that I just got really good at. So that when I did Castle, you know, Stan Akatic and I we had great chemistry, mm-hmm. but it was also just a really safe, easy working environment because I, I know how to go and support. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think the thing is there's a lot of ego involved in acting. And when you cannot, <laughs> when you make it, when you can make it not about yourself, it almost becomes, it's probably a slower road as we're finding, but it's like infinitely more rewarding. And so Hallmark, I literally show up, you know, when I did the first one, it was Megan Markle and I knocked on her trailer door and her little lip was bleeding and she was on the phone with her agent and she was like complaining, like it was a shit show, like nothing was <laughs> happening on day one. And she was like, why am I here? And I looked at her and I said, hey, Megan, a little blood right there. And so she was like, what? And she just had like chapped up or whatever. And so she's sitting there like with her finger on her lip and I'm in her, I'm, we're in her trailer and I'm like, I just want you to know that I'm here for you a hundred percent. Like my job is to support you, to make you feel good every day, to make you feel beautiful, to make you feel like we're just going to have fun. Like our job for three weeks is just to have fun and we're going to have a blast. And we did like, we ended up having this really great time. And that's been my working model when all, all of these, like we're not trying to cure cancer. We're not trying to save, you know, sex slaves from a life of, you know, right. depravity. And we're literally just telling a story that, but, but ironically, a lot of those women are watching these things and, and, w- and they are escaping. And without know. that pep talk, 
Meghan Markle would not be the Duchess she is today. Oh, it's all, all because yeah. of you. Hey, Brad. Yeah. You joke. I'm not joking. <laughs> she was. I'll tell you what. She was dating this guy, and and she'd just gotten divorced, and she was dating this this uh, guy who owned a chicken restaurant. Hold on. I was like, hey. and I was like, are you into him? She's like, no. Really. I was like, why are you dating? Like, you just got out of a marriage. Like, go be single for a minute. Like, yeah. what you, what's wrong with being right? single? Right? Why are you dating a Popeyes franchise owner? <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, go and be be free. Be footloose and fancy free. And I shit you not, dude. She texted me mid-January. So we worked together in December of 2015. And she texted me mid-January. And she's like, okay, Chris, I took your advice. I'm single. I'm out in the world. And I'm you're right. I'm having I'm having a blast. And then I get a text. And our show comes out in February. And, you know, we talked about, like, the dog. And her dad was, her dad was her guy. Like, her dad, her and her dad were super close. And he texted and talked about you know our chemistry and the dog in the movie being the best thing and i was like that's good that's always fun and the dog is the best thing in the movie <laughs> and then in march that's not hard on the ego at all no no ever. no yeah my my entire career has been an exercise in humility <laughs> it's just literally like sure i'll eat that yeah i can dookie. eat that i could eat another pile of dookie absolutely <laughs> um and then and then i got a text from her in march and she was like well I met somebody and I'm like, well, who is it? She's like, well, I can't really say. Ooh. But, and it was, uh, it was our boy Harry. Well, that's, that's nice. a lifetime movie. That well, he, right. He whisked her away to South Africa. <laughs> it literally is a lifetime. Movie. It is. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it really is. <laughs> See, I, Brad's our pop culture expert. I, I, yeah. I love that Brad's secretly watching all these. He's like, all right, let's all lifetime. I'm telling you. I got to be up on the train. He's a secret romantic. He really, hey, Brad, really yeah. And Molly, I just, finished wrapping a movie called Barstow, which uh, again, Nevada plays heavily in it, which is kind of fun, but Vegas this time. And it's with Angie Harmon of uh, Law and & Order and Rosalie Niles yeah. fame, who's she's a amazing. total baller, dude. She is fierce. She's like a- I mean, She's amazing. She's just this, yeah, she's incredible. And she, um, we, uh, we made a really dark cycle, which means that we're gonna make four of them um, we just got number two greenlit, so we're gonna the, the writers are gonna go back to that in January, and I don't know when we're gonna film it, but we filmed this barstow right after I did Dickens of a Holiday. So I did Dickens of a Holiday, <laughs> and I get this job, and the director's like, "Can you grow out your beard?" And I made this choice to shave for Jake Dorsey, so I was clean shaven, but then in the last three days, like I start to grow out my beard, so you can see like where like this starts <laughs> to poke out. Um, this being my uh, my five o'clock shadow yeah. to it. We're just listening to this part. Um, and then we went and filmed this really dark. It's dark. It's violent. She was a, she's a hit woman. My character just got out of prison. And he kind of like, he's a drifter who enters into her diner where she's trying to create this new world for herself because mm -hmm. she used to kill people. And she can do it really, really well. Wow. And she gets pulled back in. And I'm there to be like, wait. So again. That's and a again, wide swing. Yeah, it's a wide swing. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how the show turns out. But it's a... Uh, it's lifetime, man. It's lifetime. So, Brad, you will, you will be able to... When is that supposed to be released? <coughs> do you have a release date yet? No, I do, we don't. Not yet. I, okay. Otherwise, so we watch him for Barstow. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. and that's the working title, so it might change. But I'll let yeah. you guys know. And now what about Working Stiffs? I am supposed to be in a scene, and I was supposed to film it this week. Um, and unfortunately, there was a death in the family. Oh. So everything kind of got sidelined a little bit. What Emily is doing, Emily Scott Gordon, Golden, sorry, is mm -hmm. doing Emily Scott Gordon. Oh, oh my gosh, Emily <laughs> Scott Golden. It's fine, Paul. Well, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Right. That's we, what we do not, with last names. Yeah, we do. We just, we just butcher them. <laughs> right, Atticus? <laughs> Atticus Finch. Um, we, um, 
she's doing something unbelievable in the Rio Palo. Yes, she is. Cordillera Film Festival. Yeah. I, was, it I got is. to be a part of it a couple years ago and do some reading in it. It was It's very cool. Holy cow. Like, mark my words, you guys. We are going to be like Sundance in about 10 years. It's going to be one of the premier festivals to be at. And people will walk in premiere, like, bring their movies here. It's We're going for the fences on this one. And nice. it's she, I, we're going to be able to pull it off because it's uh, it's that good. Um, and so, yeah, we, I, in fact, Emily's so incredible. I, so I'll tell you guys a really quick story. Um, so Randy Pope is, is one of the head honchos over there at Hallmark. And Rocky Mountain Christmas did really, really well for them. It was like, we won the night in rating, but we also happened to be their highest rated, like, movie of that of that Christmas season. Like, it was just a big, it just ended up being a really big movie, which gives you about a window of two weeks to make a move to be, like, a producer or to pitch another movie or to, to have some sort of, like, you know, stock and stake in, in a future project. So Mike Lark and I, who produced Rocky Mountain Christmas, um, went into Hallmark and we pitched, and we actually sold this idea called Trouble in Paradise. That we've got a script now, we've got, but it's it's literally been you know years at this point. And we haven't made it. Um, but all that to say, I got on the phone with Randy and I said, Randy, I want to be a producer. I want to be a director. I like I I love acting, but I'd also like to enlarge the footprint. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, dude, if you want to be a director, you need to go direct something because I can't just like say Chris wants to direct and then he's going to get to go direct. He's like, you got to show me that you can direct. He's like, because that's just bad precedent. And every actor says, well, Chris did it. Why can't I do it? And he's like, as far as producing goes, just he's like, bring me IP. So the IP, that's literally why Anna Gomez and I started writing books mm-hmm. was because I said, well, the best way to have IP instead of having to buy other people's books is just write them myself. Like, yeah. Let's just start writing stories ourselves. So that's where that the genesis of that came from that film call. And then I directed a short film called A Work of Art. And, and I looked for that deep into the night to watch it. It looks I'll amazing. Send you guys, I'll send you guys the link. I would love we're, that. Now that we're friends, I yeah. will. Uh, he I'll just, air, he just air quoted us, listener. <laughs> friends. friends. But we've never even met, Brad. I can't, we can't, we haven't even figured out who, which one of us is taller, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I'm six four, baby. Oh, I'm six three and change. Oh, okay. No, you win. Shoes it's you. on them. It's you. Shoes it's on them. Wikipedia lied. No, I know they say I'm six three on that. You just or do they say I'm shorter? Me. Six two. Do they really? IMDb. You better. You better get your uh, agent uh, over at Gersh to update that page. You know, it's so funny. At the Christmas con thing, there was another actor who's about pretty much neck and neck. We're both tall, but everybody else was very short. <laughs> yeah, the, the picture short. you posted, it was, yeah. it was pretty yeah. clear. Yeah. And so that was, the picture was posted on a Friday and by Saturday there was this, or Sunday, sorry, there was this wild competition of like, who's the tallest hunk? <laughs> the tallest Hallmark hunk. And I'm like, and so literally this guy named Neil Blesdo and I are like back to back <laughs> and they put rumors on our head to see who was the taller actor. And Christmas I, I took behind it the by, scenes. I, I took it by a nano inch. But, ah. um, Anyway, back to a work of art. Yeah, so I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to prove that I could be a director, and uh, I was called from a friend, somebody at Stevenson back in my high school, back in the, in the forest. And his daughter wants to be an actress, and he said, "Can you introduce her to your agent?" And I said, I, "I, mean, of course, I would be happy to do that for you, but I can tell you right now, it's not going to lead to anything. Like, we'll sit down with her, and we'll be in the meeting, and then that's it." Mm-hmm. I said, "But if you have her act with me in something." Um, then you can show them that. And that'll be something like a calling card that she can get an agent from 
because they'll see her working as a working actor. And, and if mm. she can hold her own, which I didn't know at the time if she could or not, I said, that'll speak well for her. And the, the original intent was to just go down and film a few scenes and then have it look like a little real after the fact. Yeah. And just cobble together some nonsensical, non-sequential scenes. Um, but one of the exercises I gave her was to write the script. I was like, just write a couple scenes. Out. So she sent me this thing and it was good. But I was like, I think we could do like, let's just, let's, let's go for something a little darker. Let's go for something a little more interesting. And so I shot her a script in, in the play and it was a little too dark. A little too interesting. Mm. She's like, I'm 16. And she's like, well, all this stuff is like really kind of hard for me to, to, she's like, but what if we do it like this? And so she came up with this really beautiful concept of an uncle and a niece. And she had tried to commit suicide and was depressed. And so the, the, the subject of the story was depression and suicide and, and choosing life. Mm-hmm. And, um, we filmed seven scenes in 2018 and I took them home and I looked at them and I was like, we have something here. Like we were going to call it quits after the seven. I was like, but we actually like, if I can come back, we can film a few more little scenes. I can actually cobble a little bit of the story together. So I came back and we did nine scenes. The first was one weekend. The second was a year later in one weekend. All of it was free. We did this for free. Not a dime was spent. I have this buddy named uh, Barry Weiss, who I went to high school with. Uh, he's an editor and he has been for CSI, you know, for 20 years. And he's in Gotham. He's like a legit guy. And he's brilliant. And I asked him, I said, you do me a solid and I have no money. Will you edit this for free? And he's like, sure. And that was February of 2020. Mm. And we all know that the pandemic hit a month later. And he was like, I've got nothing but time. <laughs> and so he, he edited and he and I would work together. And when you get into an editing room, what you start to notice is the difference between a scene because what, so what's happening is like, we've, we've all had a steady take on our faces this entire interview. So it's been Molly the entire time, her close-up, Brad, it's been your close-up and it's been my close-up. Now we would edit this together. A guy would get in and he'd start to like flip between our close-ups versus who's talking versus reactions. Mm. And somebody who's really, really good could edit together a story that has all sorts of ranges of, emotional range and based on how zoom how like brad like if you wanted to zoom in on brad's face and have it be like this guy's full of shit like yeah. while i'm talking <laughs> that would tell a totally different story that tells the whole story the whole right? story yeah i mean it literally would tell a different I, story i've been versus villainized like, i'm the villain of this podcast <laughs> thank you Polenta. no you're not you're just you're <laughs> he's an easy target chris is a gentleman he's not gonna yes. yeah yeah I'm not going to scrutinize Molly. But um, and so all of a sudden, um, Barry and I, we had a year to like fine tune all of this stuff. And we were telling, we had like four different, four possibilities of how we could have told the story. And we had a 22 minute version. And then I knew that we wanted to go to film festivals. So we had to whittle it down to like 15. We actually have a 17 minute film now. And there are lots of scenes that were left on the cutting room floor, things that didn't make the movie and the stuff that did make the movie how you tell those stories. Like I'm outside in the hallway and we had coverage for that. So you could see me outside the hallway. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense. Let's just hear my voice and let's stay on her. And so the first time you see me is when I come into her bedroom. So we're talking about all of a sudden these little choices, everything you see choice that we made in the editing. And it took a year to do this. And then there was just footage that we, we needed. So her character starts by swimming out the Pacific ocean and her intention is to just drown. And so she's mm. fully clothed. And we shot in Pebble Beach and these huge waves were crashing and she really did get in the water. And then we had a surfer do a body double and really just swam about 30 yards out 
until you just she disappeared in the sea foam in these huge waves. And we needed footage of her going under the water. And we needed footage of her under the water and trying to figure out a way to to get that. And finally, I was like, well, why don't we just try my pool? And my wife had these sheets that were kind of dark blue, black. And we hung those on the back. And I went to the ocean and got seaweed and tied fishing wire to it. Just I don't I don't know what I was doing, but and then tied it to uh, the weights that you hold helium balloons oh, yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Sunk all this seaweed. So now I had seaweed on the floor of my pool. So I'm not picturing this Palaha at the dollar store getting Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, legit. Like, legit. Like, I drove to a dry ice factory in Oxnard because it's the only place you can get dry ice in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Like, no kidding. Wow. And it was like, I need dry ice because whenever we get dry ice, my kids want to, they put it in the water. Yeah. And it sinks and Mm -hmm. it bubbles. Yeah, it makes all that. It's an amazing reaction. And I was like, so what we'll do is we'll crush up dry ice. And I'll have someone who is Sylvie's dad uh, throw the dry ice in while we're underneath the water. We took weights and held them between our knees and we sunk down to the bottom of the pool. Wow. And then I filmed it. And we have this amazing underwater. And you can't tell that it's not the ocean. Oh. So anyway, we got all of our footage. It took three years. And again, it was for the cost of dry ice and the travel oh, and all the, yeah. you know, but it wasn't, again, no, it was free. And we came up with this short film. And all of this story is because of Emily and Emily Scott Golden. Um, she I invited me to sit on the board of the Cordova Film Festival. I knew how smart she was and is as a producer. And I said, I've got a short film. Do you think it would qualify for the film festival? Do you think it's worth? She said, let me look at it. And she said, holy cow, I think you could make a run at this. And I said, well, would you like to be a producer on it? Would you like to help me with my festival run? And she said, absolutely. We got into the Cannes Film Festival, but it's the Emerging Filmmaker Showcase at the American Pavilion. It was one of seven films picked in the whole wide world. It's crazy. Nice. And so we're going to go in May and we get to have this thing shown in the American Pavilion, like during Cannes Film Festival or the Cannes Film Festival. It's like, and that was Emily. Like she's, she's smart and she knows how to, because you have to do, you know, film freeway and you've got to do all this. You've got to leverage it. You've got to have a director statement. You've got to have photos of everybody's intention and why they did the film and da, 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 da. And there's a lot of paperwork that I wouldn't have been able to do. And Emily uh, shepherded that thing. And, and not only that, we got into the Court of Film Festival. We got into um, by our account at seven at this point. So we've been able to do, have a, a really cool little festival run. And again, all of that came from that phone call with Randy Pope yeah. at Hallmark because I was just thinking like, well, how do I get myself, how do I direct something for Hallmark? I don't know. Like, dollar store. I, sponsor, sponsor, dollar store. Dry sponsor, eyes. Sponsor and, that movie. And ancillary, you know, an ancillary benefit is uh, I win cans, you know, whatever. 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 <laughs> whatever. Um, and I'll tell you something. There's some, there's power in saying yes. Like yeah. I think in this business, everyone says, you know, there's power in saying no. Like it's like, I mean, literally almost as easy as like, we can use this podcast as a great example. Like you guys were so sweet to reach out and be like, Hey, bonehead, we're from Reno. And, uh, and I was like, we weren't really that sweet. (laughs) Well, no, you guys were rough. Like it was like betrayal. That's Brad. Like like, like, hootie, 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 hootie. And I'm like, who are these? these I thought it was one person. I thought it was one person. First of all, like, who is this? Like, who is this? I apologize. And, um, a blanket apology for Brad right now. No, it's all good. I, 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 I dug it. Shonda Rhimes, right? That was how she started with her success. Was that Did she? It was like she said a, a year of yes. She just said yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. I'm telling you guys, if you just say yes to stuff, it's amazing what happens. Like you just go, sure, I'm, I'll, I will, I will be there. Let me see what happens. I read um, an interview about the scar on your face. 
Mm. And was even it's la- such a str- I mean, like that's noted. Like it's such a straight score. I'm like, did he like s- take a nap in his trailer and he got like? I, I thought <laughs> you know? I thought it was it's bad like, filler yeah. or something like that. Oh, Brad. Of course, you, of course, you would think that. Will you just <laughs> highlight that story because it was really uh, amazing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a student at NYU. I was a sophomore and. A friend of mine from high school, my high school comes back into the story. Mm. It was Catherine Smith. She was just visiting me for the weekend. We were just friends. And she wanted to have a, a fun weekend in the city. And I was like, I'll, I'll take you around. And we were just walking up Ninth Avenue because she wanted to go see Macy's. And um, at night, I don't know. I don't know. We were just, we were like literally just walking through the city. And I was on her right. She was on my left, so I heard the traffic. Is, is any good gentleman should where, where any good gentleman right, Brad? Be on, stand. The, be on the street. Yep. Yeah. Always get you get first one to get hit by a car, right? <laughs> and I don't know why, but I turned. I, I stopped walking and I went to the other side of her. So now I'm on her left, and she's on my right. And I said to her, "I don't know why, but I feel better on this side of you." And then, like a block later, we hear this tick 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 tick, and the grate in the sidewalk burst open. We were engulfed by a fireball. It went back into the restaurant like a backdraft effect kind of thing happened. And this eddy of fire tore through the restaurant and then smashed out the storefront window, which is what caught my face. Wow. 80 stitches. My hand, I've got a big old rugged scar here. And then I've got, uh, which is my back of my left hand. And then I've got this scar down the the inside of my right wrist. And, um, and everywhere I put my hands up, you could see like literally everywhere that I went like that got hit with glass. So it would have been my eye, my jugular, if I didn't put my hands up. And what I was wearing was this thick sheep shear leather, like brown leather sheep shear jacket. The collar was popped. The thing was like armor. I had on cords <laughs> and hiking boots and a thick polo shirt. She was wearing jeans, a t-shirt and a window. And so if that move hadn't been made, I really, I mean, I'm, this is an exaggeration. I think she would have died. So that was miraculous. And then... The other cool thing about the story is that we were just like supernaturally lifted up and I was placed standing on my feet in the first lane of traffic facing the World Trade Towers. She was placed standing on her feet facing the Empire State Building North. The blast was in between us. So the geography of it doesn't make any sense. And there was a red light, so there wasn't a bunch of traffic. <laughs> I was going to say. Anyway, just, traffic, so yeah. just a ton of blood. We catch a cab. We go to St. Vincent's. And um, we're in there and they're suturing me up. My mom, again, being the rock star, she calls and insists that the head of plastic surgery does this. I was going to say, that is a really good, that's. <laughs> yeah, no, she, yeah. this is my mom. Like she literally got on the phone and said, I'm not going to get off. I will keep calling you until I want to know who the head of the <laughs> plastic surgery department is in the emergency room. And I want him to do the suturing yeah. on his face because the guy who did my hand literally looks like Frankenstein. You can see where each suture mark oh. went in. It, it, it's ugly and it's cool. Cause I'm a yeah. guy and it's one of those things. It's, <laughs> Chicks dig face, stars. Yeah. The yeah. face was like, and this was layer. So this cut through the skin, the muscle and the sinus. Cavity. Ooh. It just my whole face was hanging open and you could Dang. see my bone. It was a big, big boom. Um, well go Esther. Anyway. Yeah. The, 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 the fire <laughs> marshal was like, you should have been decapitated. It was like the glass mm. was an inch and a half thick and you should have been, you should add your head cut off. So, wow. Crazy little story. Yeah. And that, you, we won't get into it too much, but that is sort of what led you back to your faith. Yeah. 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 I grew up a Christian and I kind of, I don't know, I think like a lot of us, I had a lot of pride in high school and acting was, was going well and things were good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. is this me or is this you? And I kind of, 
I thought it was me. And so I did this thing where I was like, I'm just not going to pray for a while. And then it just, I stopped praying for like six years. And it was that blast that kind of brought me back only because of the supernatural elements. There were really, there's a part of the story I left out that happened that summer that was really like, it sort of like, just feel like, like I had a guardian angel and that it was a specific, you know what I mean? Like I was spared yeah. for a reason. Yeah. And when you are told that you should be dead and I don't know about you guys, but have you ever, going to sleep at night. Have you ever had an epiphany where you just understand a great truth about life or humanity or yourself and you see that truth for a moment and you totally acknowledge it and then it just kind of goes back into your head and you disappear and yeah. you disappear and fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like we have these epiphanies in life mm-hmm. and they're ephemeral. They're just they're fleeting. They pop in and you get it and you understand it on a bone level and then it goes away. Well, after the blast, I was in that state of mind for two weeks Wow. And I was walking around the city and it was like this extreme empathy and this extreme awareness of what it means to be alive, especially in the face of death. And I would see people and I would start to cry because I could feel their pain or I would start to laugh because they were so joyful. I mean, it was a wreck. Like, it was, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. no way you can make, you know, you could live a life like that. But like me watching weeks, the porch scene. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> like you in the porch scene. For two weeks. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. for two weeks. Um, and there's just no way to do that. But what it did was it stained me on a molecular level as a storyteller, as a human. Um, and it made me realize that there is more to this world than our philosophies or our science will ever understand. Yeah. There is a fabric of seen and unseen. And it's that unseen that is really interesting to me. And I really, I think that I've done a lot of schlock. Like North Shore was considered a, a nighttime soap. And I remember when I got cast, I was like, oh man. Will I be able to, because once people see you in a certain light, they see you in that light, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's just, you're, you're always that actor, you're always that storyteller, you're always that whatever it is. Like at work, we get labeled and, and it's hard to change the labels, right? Um, but something that's been just so fascinating and attractive and has pulled me through my entire life is this relationship of life and death. Like we're all here for a short time. Very short. I hate to, I hate to break it to you, Brad. <laughs> But well, young'm I'm, I'm gonna be here the longest <laughs> you will you will probably win. not you will win. <laughs> no but it's like we we have this and and that's when when covid started you know I went on live and started doing this Instagram live show I did called the Palaha Chautauqua. and the whole thing was like hey you're not alone mm-hmm. we're all terrified yeah. we were all scared to death and yeah. none of us have the answers and we tell ourselves stories we tell ourselves these stories yeah. whether it's the Christian narrative or whether it's an atheist narrative of like there is nothing. And so I'm going to bolster my belief in the fact that like, I've got this moment and I'm going to, and we tell ourselves these stories to get through the day. Absolutely. And we tell our stories, we have family stories. Like our relationship with our parents is a story that we tell ourselves to make it okay. And it's all a matter of survival. And so all of a sudden, when you start breaking story down, like you said earlier, we love telling stories. It's because it is essential to our survival. And it's why cavemen told stories around the campfires. It's why generations passed on the stories of their lineage and the stories of who we are and where we come from. It's why, I'm sorry, guys, to go real deep with you, but it's why racism in America is a spiritual problem because you cannot take a group of people from another country, erase their stories, and then expect them to thrive without giving new story to a cultural identity. It's why it's... Yeah. racism it's a problem because it's spiritual bondage because a group of people tried to erase another group of people's yeah. story so and Absolutely. right now what you're seeing everything that you're seeing is a rewriting of the story and that's what's happening right now so our generation and god bless us mm-hmm. for being the generation that is saying yes let's retell the story yeah 
versus That's hold on, we're gonna we're gonna hang on to the old story. Right. Yeah, we're yeah. rewriting the story yeah. right now. And it's and beautiful it's, uh, to watch and it's painful to watch. Yeah, it's painful, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, and it's real. So that so so that's so that's that's what I'm about. So then so this conversation that we were having about you, you know researching your life and your faith and um and I, and I've had some transition in in my understanding and my faith um for lots of reasons. You know, our lives are stories and they evolve. And Brad shocked me because Brad says, I have this churchy thing I do. And, uh, and so. Well, I mean, as in a brief aside, cause Polenta doesn't care. Um, I, lived <laughs> I do in, actually, I, I do. I, I can lived, see it on your face. I lived in Los Angeles right after I graduated college. And then I lived in New York. And the one thing that I did find a constant was that in sort of that chaos of living in these big cities was that I found myself going to church. I was raised Catholic. So I went to this church in um, Sherman Oaks and then in New York, I St. Malachy's in Times Square, mm. you know, every Sunday. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I know I have this weird, it works for me. And I've done it probably for the last decade. And every every Monday morning when I'm in the shower, whoever I'm speaking to, higher power, mm -hmm. um, I will ask them that the water <laughs> like wash away like the bad stuff. Like I, I swear I say like, please wash away the fear and the insecurity and the, the angst and the irritation. And then like, then I say, okay, now wash me like, like let me absorb like the positivity, the joy. I, Every Monday, I've done it for That's the last. That's really beautiful, man. Um, really beautiful. That's really beautiful. I've man. actually never shared that with anybody because it's like a bat. Like you get baptized. I'm, I'm every baptizing Monday. myself right? every Monday. Right. Well, yeah. and, and Brad is this. Uh, <laughs> he's always a deeply complex me. human yeah, being. He's, he's a surprising. Always... <laughs> he, he's an enigma wrapped in a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, Surrounded by cash, like Erica Jane. <laughs> and what's, what's what's beautiful about this interview is that it's researching your life and reading about your faith. That just it was yeah, yeah triggered. it's beautiful exposed Thanks for uh, sharing that. sure that was really sweet <laughs> okay. that's a cool story well we know you're busy yeah you've got family but yeah. we uh, we're gonna play a game all right <laughs> what uh, <laughs> mr polenta <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire um what does gal Gadot smell like <laughs> she smells like orange blossom vanilla <laughs> And tobacco. I knew it. Brad wins. Brad wins. Um, <laughs> what kind of bed sheets do you prefer? Flannel. Flannel bed sheets. Wow. Keeps you warm in the winter. There, there you, you go. go. Yeah, yeah. What is your favorite curse word? And will you say it right now? Because. Fuck. Yes. The word fuck. Here's the deal with that. It's so soft on the front end. You got the right. Yeah. And it's this guttural like, Ugh. and then which, by the way, was the sound effect you had for me in the last yeah. show. <laughs> <laughs> and then you like it slams into the, <laughs> the end, and it's like a perfect because it's like every once in a while you just want to be like, Ugh. my kids. Yeah. The, this is a story that I am shocked that I'm telling that since Brad <laughs> was so bold to share his truth, <laughs> I'll share a truth with you guys. Um, when my kids were little. They were hanging out with their uncle, my wife's brother, and um, and by the way, her mother, my mother-in-law, their grandmother, which you don't know that she's in the car until the end of the recording, but somehow the word fuck got introduced, and my kids are like three and four, and you can hear my oldest boy go like, is fuck a cute word? Is fuck a cute word? And, they, and then you hear Scott be like, what word? And, and then he's like, fuck. 
And then all of a sudden you hear, Buck-a-doodle-doo! Like they start playing with the word. And it's these two little kids and these two little voices. And you're like, and I'm like, who, why would why would your brother let him say that? And I was like, when he has a kid, I can't wait. I'm going to teach him that Apple is like not really Apple. I'm going to do it like a football. Um, and then... And then you hear uh, you hear the grandmother's voice, and you realize that the whole time, grandmother's been in the car, <laughs> allowing this thing to happen. And then like, I think I like her. She sounds like a cool lady. Okay. <laughs> Next question: Do you get eaten by a dinosaur in Jurassic World? Ooh, should I tell you the truth or not? Should I plead the fifth? You only get um, one. Plead the fifth. You got, and you got two more questions to answer. I see. I think that's an unfair question because I signed an NDA, and um, my college roommate is is the director. Oh no! (laughs) So it's like a personal thing. If I if I like, it's not just that it's you know Amblin, Steven Spielberg, and Universal. It's also like a friendship. Yeah, yeah. could ruin a lifelong friendship. We don't right here on Hallmark. Ruin a a lifelong friendship. Yeah, I think that um, I think that without having to answer and without also having to plead the fifth that your listeners be anybody who loves the Jurassic Park or the Jurassic World franchise, their mind is about to be blown. It is such a good story. It is such an amazing script. And the story of how we filmed it Mm -hmm. is as awesome as the actual movie is going to be itself, which I can come back on in a few months. June 10th, 2022, everybody. Oh, I'm excited. Um, The the teaser trailer looks... Really good, dude. Really it's good. amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing movie. Like, well, we're lucky to get you on now because after that movie comes out, no, you're gonna block us on Instagram. Well, it's a I small. Know it. pa- I have a small party. It's not like a, you know, <laughs> it's like a, it's like another Gal Gadot. It's like another Wonder Woman eighty four. Like I'm just happy to be invited to the party. Kind of awesome. Thing, you know? Who's your favorite Hallmark actress to work with? Whoa. That's a bit like kissing and telling, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, yes. We're the only explicit <laughs> Hallmark podcast, so yeah, we want to know. Um. <laughs> Okay, so Megan and I had an incredible time working together. Um, we just had so much fun. And it was so much fun, in fact, that it allowed me to say yes to... I was like, you know what? If this is what this experience is like, I, I can do this again. And then I worked with Amelia Uber, who is um, a Danish. And she taught me how to say gladly Yule, which is <laughs> Merry Christmas, Danish. So mm-hmm. gladly Yule. Um, she was awesome. And then I got to work with Lindy Booth, who... If Lindy Booth... <laughs> if we were to make... Uh, a 1940s this like my girl Friday where it's like Cary Grant and where it's all real quippy like real quippy lines and she shoots back and you shoot back and it's da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. she would be like the most perfect actress because she's just you know whip smart mm. and, and has this sort of ethereal otherworldly quality about her um, and then <laughs> after that and then after Lindy it was Jill uh, Wagner yeah we did Prone Paradise and then we made seven Mystery 101s together. Recently at that Christmas con, I was sitting on a couch between Jill Wagner and Brooke Dorsey. And, uh, and <laughs> someone asked, like, who's it? We also yeah, butchered. Yeah, sorry. I know, I heard. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> I did, I heard. Um, it and was then, Emma's um, fault. He listened to our podcast, <laughs> unlike you watching his movie. I mean, yeah. I was like, who is this? So she hasn't even watched it. And she's like <laughs> throwing hot shots across the back. Um, and they said, who's the better kisser? And Jill's response was so funny. She's like, well, I'm the wife and she's the girlfriend. So, um, because when you've worked with someone for so long, Jill and I, we have this shorthand and, and mm-hmm. she's, um, and again, she comes up 
Joe will bump on 50 things in a script. And at first I was like, can you just say the lines? Like, just say the line. Like, and then all of a sudden around movie two, it, she made me take pause. Like, I was like, okay, why is she bumping? And I just asked the simple question, why is she bumping? And all of a sudden I found out that like, even if, if she bumps 50 times, like 30 of the bumps are legitimate. It was like a pee, it was like the princess in the mattress to pee in the mattress. She just bumps on stuff that most people would skip mm-hmm. over and mm-hmm. they would just say the line and be like, I'll make it work. Yeah. And she'll be like, whoa, whoa. And then all of a sudden that her sensitivity to janky little incongruities <laughs> became something that I it was an asset. I was like, You've got a superpower, girl. Like, read yeah. the script. What do you bump on? And then we would go through and of yeah. the fifty bumps, we would fix 30, 35 bumps. And then she would say 15, she would just say the line on 15 of them. Um, and then I gotta say, Brooke. And Carly Pope, of course, for Double Home. She's legit. And it was her first Hallmark experience. And so that was, I think, it wasn't terrible for her. I think we made a pretty good movie. Um, people who are Jewish love that movie because we've seen the, Han- the Hanukkah Blessing twice. Can you, can, um, you, can you sing that right now? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu. And that's where I stopped. No. That's as far as I get. Okay. Baruch Atah And then the, then the music fades yeah. out. Um, <laughs> exactly. And they cut to her. Um, and then Brooke, man, we just did Dickens of a Holiday. And, you know, you get on a set with a woman and you're a married guy. And that's going to run one of two ways. Mm. It's either going to be safe and mm-hmm. fun and awesome, or you're going to have your boxing gloves on every day because you're like, leave me, like, stop. Yeah. Like, you, you, yeah. You, and you have to fight for your family. Yeah, like, in this yeah. industry, yeah. you've got to battle for your family. You have to mm-hmm. literally fight for it. And Brooke was so safe to work with and such a pleasure and so encouraging. I remember. And I don't know if you guys saw my last post. She did this interview where she gave me credit for an idea, which I think is the first time someone's ever given me credit in 20 years. And I come up with a shit ton of ideas. I'm like an idea guy. Like, I'm yeah. like, well, what if we do this? What if we do that? And I'm, I throw them away. I don't need credit. I don't want credit. It's yeah. not about credit. I just want to tell the best story. And I have this policy, best idea wins. So yeah. the three of us are making something. And Brad kept showing up with these amazing ideas. Which I do. Instead of being, <laughs> as, as, he, as he would, I could tell. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, Brad, shut up. I'm like, great, great. That's going to make this story better. Yeah. Best idea wins. Um, and then my hope is that Brad wouldn't be like, well, that was my idea. That was my idea. That was my idea. He wouldn't. But the hope would. would be that Molly and I would be like, yeah, Brad kept showing up. And, and this was fun. And this, we did this. But people don't do that. People don't. And Brooke did, man. She was just like, yeah, Chris came up with this thing. And. I just thought that was the most generous move on her part. So, I mean. You can't narrow take, it down to one. Listeners, take from all that what you will. <laughs> well, I'm not even going to ask my last pleat, the fifth question, because he's not going to answer it. I was going to say who's your least favorite, but oh. we're not even going to go there. You're, the humility that ju- he just kind. he just yeah. shared. Right. He's too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it's it. It's fine. Yeah. What if I was like, oh, that one bitch. <laughs> Lacey, Danica McKellar. <laughs> well, she is a traitor. Yeah. She's a traitor to the Hallmarkies. Over, yeah. over to the GAC. Betrayal. Betrayal. What's worse is if I forgot somebody. Did I forget anybody? Yeah. And we, and we, no, I mean, but the Hallmark. Oh, the Hallmark. The Hallmark. We don't know. We haven't watched it. All your- <laughs> oh, my gosh. I did forget somebody. Uh-oh. Well, now's your chance. I did forget somebody. Um, Ashley Newborough. She and I did a small town Christmas together. I'll have to go back and, and watch she that was one. amazing. Yeah. Well, at she the end of the amazing. day, Megan Markle. Megan, well, we, right? we knew that. I mean, a princess. What do you do? What do you do? I'm sorry, she's a duchess. Sorry, right? Brooke. You can't compete with the duchess. 
<laughs> Talking about a Hallmark Brooke romance. Listens story. to this and starts to cry. Oh, like, <laughs> we love Brooke. Um, what's next for you? You've got Jurassic World. What's your next Hallmark Jurassic World? Um, we've got the Barstow coming out, so that'll be Barstow two. Book two, Where the Sun Rises, is going to hit shelves March 29th. So be sure to be sure cool. to buy a copy, and then buy a copy for your friends. Everyone should buy two copies. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, he, and then Polenta um, needs that budget when he goes to uh, Hawaii to film that. Because he didn't get paid. Do you, I'm do buy you know three how? Books do you, you want to know writing books? By the way, mm-hmm. it's not. Do not write a book if you want to make a living. <laughs> I just got paid for the books. We sold ten thousand copies in the first month. It did well. Mm-hmm. Like by industry standards, That's, that yeah. was a successful book. Um, and the reason we couldn't make lists like the New York Times or the, all these they have, like the Wall Street Journal. It's because we weren't selling hardback copies of our book. We went straight to softback, uh, like paperback, and they don't. And they have a different. It's a different count for for paperback versus hardback. Mm-hmm. But we sold a ton of physical books. Like we sold in the first month nine thousand versus eBooks, um, which is an irregularity for the for the book market right now. So everybody kind of had their eyeballs on it. I'm telling you guys, I did not make I did not make money. No, no, <laughs> you're not getting those J.K. Rowling paychecks. <laughs> no, no, no. We spent. We spent money on a publicist, and I did not even recoup the amount I spent on the publicist. Oh no! Well, you hear here first. He's doing this books out, are of, not, out of love, yeah. pure love of it's the craft. A, yes, it's a love. Yeah, it's. Yeah. But anyway, go buy go buy ten of them. We'll do. It'll make up for you not getting paid for this podcast. But I think probably have to buy a hundred for that, right? Based on what you just told me. Yeah. Well, so, if you get all your friends, if all of your friends, buy it. well, gentlemen and a scholar. Christopher Polenta. Um, it's been a pleasure. You're on Instagram, I think, is your prime soch. Yeah, Polaha. Polaha. <laughs> and truly, check oh. it out. Go down the Chris Polaha rabbit hole because it's a beautiful journey. There's a lot of incredible art being made. Um, I would love to be able to watch a work of art. Um, yes, please I, share I that. I would love that. Yeah, I'll um, send it to you guys. I want to see that kelp before, at the bottom. Before of the we get off, um, enjoy it. Yeah, it's 17 Thanks. minutes. I'm proud of it. It's something that I'm proud of. We had a, a conductor named Joe de Blasi, who, if you look him up, his name is Joe de Blasi, um, an incredible resume. And as far as he was a session guitarist, played with Elvis, played with Pink Floyd. Wow. And he composed the music for free, just like my editor did his work for free. Um, just like we all worked. It was a, it was a literally a labor of love. So I'm, I hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome home for the weekend. Yep. Uh, hope you have a great uh, time with your Reno family. Yes, and, and thanks for taking the time out to talk with us. We really appreciate course, it. Guys. Yeah, my pleasure, Brad, Molly. Nice to meet you both. Nice uh, to meet you. We'll do it again. Oh, I hope so. Mr. Polenta, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys. Take care. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, we did it. We really did. Season two is in the bag. Oh, is that Polenta's voice? Yeah. Oh. Does it sound good? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a re- actually, that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was pretty good. Oh. I mean, you all, your voice is almost as good as his. Well, we spent a lot of time with him. We d- <laughs> We're very appreciative <laughs> so to appreciative. Chris Palaha at Palaha um, on Instagram. <laughs> he was very, very diplomatic about his favorite Hallmark actress. Uh-huh. And what was the other thing he refused to answer in such a such a beautifully voiced way that you know. didn't even care? I don't know. Molly. He's a hall star. He's a hall star. He's a hall star. 
We want to thank everyone again. All of our hallmarkies stuck it out with us, emailed us. Uh, Emma Shelley. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we have to thank Emma oh Shelley. My goodness, we have absolutely. to thank uh, Kristen Seavey. Oh, yes. We have to thank Charmy Hollycakes, David K. RIP. Again, Chris Palaha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everybody that has engaged with us online, everybody that has listened to us this year. Followed uh, us on Twitter while we live tweeted. We're very thankful. Very, very thankful. So, with that, we'll see you next year. Oh. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>